All right, all right. Hey, Rockbridge, I hope y'all are doing fantastic. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you at all six of our physical locations. Those of you that are tuned in through our online connections, please say hello in the chat. Pastor Mark would love to just speak to you or connect with you that way. So just so glad, however you're engaged with us, so glad that you're here with us. So you're, you're here on a very just a strategic series in the life of our church as we prepare to turn 20 years old in a couple of weeks. And because we're founded on this statement or part of this foundation of the, that our only tradition is the Bible, we're going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse, word by word. Wherever we leave off, that's where we pick up, submitting and surrendering ourselves to what Paul or the Holy Spirit through Paul has said to this church that really sits in a, in a kind of a modern American type city. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the journey so far. Now, one of the things that I've learned about uh, when I'm interpreting the Bible, and, that, and you got to interpret Scripture correctly. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need teaching. We need open hearts and humble hearts. But we have to capture the tone of the author, the tone of the author. And, and today we've got a challenge because what Paul is going to do is going to seem antithetical or it's going to seem like the tone is like a, a, a paradoxical or going against each other. And so the tone of this text is this, serious joy. All right, you might even write that down, serious joy, right? Now, we think if it's joy, if we're going to have joy, it's not, it can't be serious. And when we're serious, we can't have joy. But the joy that God wants for you and I goes down a path or takes the tone of serious joy. Pray with me. God, I know a couple of things without knowing everybody's story that's here today. One, I know they're not here by accident, so I thank you that they're here. And I pray, God, you would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see why we're here this day. God, secondly, I know every single person here, even those who are not yet Christians or not even sure they believe anything I'm about to say, I know we all want joy. So, God, I pray you would open us up to see your path to joy, which is serious joy. We ask that, and we pray to receive that. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So some of you know this. I, co I help coach a middle school football team, and we've started our games. And it's like, a, it's like a tank filler for me. My son plays on one of the teams that we coach. So it's kind of, it's dad. I'm out in the community, get to be a little missional, all that kind of stuff. So I enjoy doing it. But uh, it, it's, it's funny what, you, what kids say, what you learn from kids. So first game of the year, we're at this new stadium that our community has built. Fans, uh, the fans are gr great crowd. It's kind of packed, and everybody's cheering, and you know, everybody's decked out, and it's just awesome. And I had about three of these little boys. You know, none, many of them not played football before. They come up to me, you know, in the heat of the game, not even sure who's going to win yet, and they're like, "Hey, coach, can I go play? Right? Can I get in to play?" Now, here's what you got to know about these three boys. They hadn't practiced well at all, right? They, they want to play. They don't want to practice. Because, you know, when the fans are cheering and mama's in the stands and the camera's going and ready to post to Instagram, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. But when nobody's in the stands and it's 95 degrees and it's just hot, right, nobody wants to practice. That's serious joy, right? The joy of playing in the game without the seriousness of practice, Okay. But we are like that, too. Even as adults, we're like that, too, because we love the idea that, hey, God's got a wonderful plan for my life. 
We love the idea God's got a purpose for my life. But you know what we struggle with? The process that God uses to accomplish his plans and his purposes for us. I, I know many of you who maybe grew up in church, you, you might even memorize this famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? That God knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, give us a hope and a future. And we're like, man, I, that's my life verse. That was written to a people who had just spent about 70 years in captivity, Right? So we get excited about the plan, the process, about game day, but we struggle with the process. And so today, as we navigate through 1 Corinthians, we'll be in chapter 3 this weekend. As we navigate through 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to focus a little bit on the process and, and the struggle that he sees in the Corinthian church to really get involved and to own and embrace the process that God uses to accomplish his plans and his purposes for us. So let's join Paul through the Holy Spirit through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 1. <clears throat> for my part, brothers and sisters, so he's writing to a church of Christ followers. He's writing to people like maybe many of us here today. We're, we're, we, we're pretty sure we think we're saved. We're whatever Christ follower is. We're, we're, we think that's us. But he goes, I'm not able to speak to you as spiritual people. So he goes, I can't talk to you like you're a believer. Or in Paul's case, because he's pointing back to what we talked about last week with the role of the Holy Spirit, I can't talk to you like the Holy Spirit is operating in you. So, we're, so that's serious, right? That's serious. Paul's being serious. But I have to talk to you as people of the flesh, our, our kind of earthly, egotistical desires. And he says this, your babies. In Christ. Now remember, Paul planted this church, spent 18 months with the church. He left, sent a great teacher named Apollos at that church. Here's some bad things that are going on. And he comes back with this series of letters to this church. And he goes on, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready. And the implication that he's making to the Corinthian church is this. Hey, you're a work in progress, but you are not trusting the process. You should be farther along in your journey with Jesus than you presently are. And, and, I, and I mean, let me just stop for a second, okay? And I, and I say this uh, to myself because I've been living in this text for several weeks now. And I, but I say this to you and I. One of the failures of Christianity in America is we take, make it all about going to heaven and we don't make it about the process of life change and transformation. And a lot of us have a version of faith that says, man, as long as I know I'm going to heaven, I can live like hell on earth. And that's not biblical, and that's not Christian. And Paul is calling it out and said, hey, you should be past the baby stage by now. You, you should be farther along in this journey. And, and isn't this a true statement, though? We might say this about our sports teams, or we might say this about our, uh, you know, maybe our financial picture, but do we say it about our faith journey that neglecting the process is the enemy of purpose? So all of us, I mean, we're wired for purpose. We're wired to know that God has a plan for us or there's a plan for our lives. We need that hope. We, have a, we are wired to have significance and ambition and to have a sense of mission, right? So, but if we, don't, if we neglect God's process, we, that's the enemy of our purpose. 
And, and so Paul is going to take this tone of seriousness, but he's pointing them to the greatest joy that we can know, which is having the life that God has for us, the life that God himself died for us so we could have that life. The life in Christ. As we say at Rockbridge Community Church, we exist, why? To glorify God, it's all about Him, by connecting people from all walks of life. That means nobody's excluded, but we have to exercise faith to connect to, connect people from all walks of life, to life in Christ. And there's a process that God uses. So you are a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. My wife would amen that. But we have to cooperate with the purpose. So Paul continues, verse 2, he says, okay, if you're still not ready because you are still worldly. So you're living as the world lives. You're doing what the world does. And, and you know, a lot of times, especially in the Bible Belt, we're like, well, that's smoking and that's drinking and that's chewing, right? No, it's the whole value system that's oriented around pride. It's oriented around flesh all those kinds of things. But he says, for sin, here, here's his evidence. Since there is envy and strife, some translations say divisions, since the church is divided amongst you, are you not worldly and behaving? And look at the phrase he picks. You're behaving like mere humans. Now, what? Now, but you're like, well, but, but, but we are. We're like homo sapiens. What, what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, if you are born again, if you're saved, if you're called to Christ, you aren't merely human anymore. Suddenly you have the Holy Spirit, God Almighty himself, pulsing through your DNA, your mind, and, and you're a new creation. So you need to process, progress in the process because you're not merely human anymore. You're adopted in the family of God. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, right now, let's, let's pause for a second. Because I think we need clarity on this point. Because this gets hijacked by, by messages from culture. It even gets hijacked by bad preachers, okay? What is God's purpose for us? When we say the plans God has for us, most of us, if we're honest, sort of kind of think it looks awfully close to the American dream, right? The, the problem is the Bible was not just written to Americans. It was written to Africans. It was written to the underground church in China. So whatever God's plans for us have to work for all of us, not some of us. So God's plans for you and I are spelled out explicitly. And, and, and I'll boil it down through two verses. Romans 8, 29 is one of them. God knew his people in advance. He knew who would be called, who he knew who would say yes to the call. And he chose them. And the greatest thing he could say is we would become like his son. That God's purpose for you is to become Christ-like. Now, we get upset because God's process to make us Christ-like often takes us through pain and adversity. God's process to make us Christ-like sometimes means we don't get what we want. God's process to make us Christ-like sometimes takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. But the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not want. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul says this, a version of this. He says it in a different way as he speaks about the church. But he says we all want to reach unity in the faith. And this little word, this little adverb here, until, means it's a process. So until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, 
then we will no longer be little children. So when God looks at the church, he does not say, man, they had 5,000 people in worship. He looks at the church and says, whether there's five, 500, or 5,000, how much do they look like my son? When they go to work the next day, how much do they look like my son? When they go lead their families and do their marriages, how much do they look like my son? When they go out on Friday night or post things on social media, how much do they look like my son? That is our purpose. That is the plan. And, and so you hear it, right? That's serious. We're supposed to look like Jesus. But Jesus is the happiest person that ever lived on the planet. So that's joyful, right? If I can learn to live like Jesus, trust like Jesus, I'll have joy like Jesus. Serious joy. Now, there's three enemies to the process. Three enemies. And Paul, has, he spells out two of them. He implies the third in how he concludes this part of the, of the text. The first enemy is our flesh. That's the part of us that Jesus died for and that we have to die too. And often we have to die to that daily. I always tell people it's easier to act like a Christian than to react like one, right? You know, if you know the pastor's looking, hey, praise the Lord, right? You get in your car with your wife and like, sit down, we go, where do we want to go eat, right? Right? It's always easier to act like one than react like one. That's why, we, that's why the flesh is an enemy. The second enemy is the world. The world is opposed to God's wisdom, and we've learned over the last couple of weeks that God's wisdom was displayed for us, given to us on the cross. The world rejects it, right? So it's opposed to the world. And here's the thing about it, and this is what makes the, this is the one-two punch of Satan, right? This is the one-two punch of the enemy. God uses the world to appeal to our flesh, and then when we act on our flesh, the world turns around and condemns us. Isn't that many of our stories? So that's the one-two punch, right? But then there's a third enemy to this process, which is that we're ignorant of it. We don't really know how God's process works, or we intentionally or unintentionally, <coughs> excuse me, resist God's process. And what Paul is going to do now is he's going to shift and begin to zero in on a specific aspect of God's process that the Corinthian church, the Corinthian Christians are missing out on. And I think as we get our, as we peel back that layer of that onion, we'll understand too that that's something maybe you are missing out on or we're missing out on as God speaks to us through his word. So Paul continues in verse 4 and he says, For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another one says, I belong to Apollos. So remember, in the Corinthian church, we had a lot of factions. You know, just like in the American church, you know, we got a lot of factions, you know. And so they were, they were kind of a, a faction based on who they liked to hear preach and who they thought was the best leader. Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? You know, we might be factioned in the American church by, by politics or by race or by are we social justice people or not social justice people. But there's all kinds of divisions in the church, always has been, and, and we always have to fight against that, okay. So he says, look, because you are factioned, aren't you acting like mere humans how many Christians do you know did not act like Christians during the last presidential race don't raise your hand exactly exactly and we got into factions didn't we and, and who is Paul said the only one that's the head of the church is Christ so he goes on he says what then is Apollos and what then is Paul 
What, and we could fill in names in modern day America if we wanted to, but he says they are simply servants through whom you believe. So yes, God works through his people. God works through the leaders of his churches. God works through servants through whom you come to believe, and each has the role the Lord has given. God put these people in your life to preach truth to you, to share the gospel with you, to teach the apostolic testimony of Scripture to you. So Paul says, hey, I planted, I started the church, then Apollos came and watered. He, he nurtured the, 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 the seed of the gospel, <clears throat> but God gave the growth. Who grows the church? Not Matt, not elders, not Billy Graham. God does. It's his church. He made the promise, right, I will build my church. He made that to Peter, made that to the disciples in Matthew. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So here's what God, he's saying to the, this Corinthian church. He's saying, look, God gives the growth, so God guarantees the process. So when you sign up, when you surrender, when you give Jesus the steering wheel of your life, understand this. You are not just signing up to go to heaven when you die. You are signing up to grow to be like Christ as you live. And that's the best way to live and the only way to die, right? So we got to understand that, that God is going to back up this process. This pushes us back to something we read like the second week from chapter 1, verse 30, where Paul says, it's from him, Jesus, <clears throat> that you are in Christ, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. So in Christ, we have all we need to reach our purpose, to reach our destiny. We have all we need. So God has already accomplished for us what the process is working in us. See, God, listen, a couple of things. God's not in love with a future version of you. He loves you as you are, but he's not going to leave you there. He's going to take you through a process, and, and, and he is so committed to that process. And the reason sometimes we get frustrated with God is because we wish God were more committed to keeping us from cancer or financial ruin when he's more committed to making us like Jesus. And that's where we wrestle with God, right? I mean, I, 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 say, some, I say this to some people, right? You know, part of my story is walking through my wife's battle with leukemia. And, and it was, some of it was so humbling because I, it was, there's been times I'm like, God, why did we, she, me have to go through that for me to learn that lesson? Couldn't, you, couldn't I have just got it from the Bible and like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put that at work in my life? I couldn't because I, too, can be fleshly. I, too, can be worldly. I, too, can be ignorant and resistant to the processes of God. So I think three things, I think from this scripture passage, three things have to be in place here as we move forward to purpose. First is this, we have to know the person of God as revealed in Christ. One of the great barriers to us getting on track with God and to us pursuing purpose with God is a lot of us have a faulty view of God. I mean, if we really pressed each other, some of us have a bad view of God because maybe we were hurt or had experienced spiritual abuse at a church. 
Some of us have a faulty view of God because we had a bad relationship with one of our parents. And our parents are sort of the initial authority figures in our lives. God's an authority figure. And so, man, if my mom did this to me or my dad said this to me, and we just sort of project that onto God. Sometimes we just believe God is distant, far far away, and man, if it's to be, it's up to me because God's not involved. Sometimes God is like the cop waiting on the corner trying to catch me going too fast, right? And we have all these views of God, but one thing is clear. If you've been journeying with us through 1 Corinthians, this right here is the clearest depiction of our God that we've ever been given. That should have been me, and that should have been you. One of the great ways to describe the gospel is Jesus in my place. So when you understand that this is a portrayal of God's commitment to justice, because this is a payment to satisfy the law and the righteousness and holiness of God. And then when you understand this is a portrayal, a demonstration of the love of God for people who have rejected the authority of God, who are fleshly, who are worldly, this begins to correct our view of God. And then once you get this view of God, once it grabs your heart, and you never graduate from it, it keeps grabbing and just pulling you deeper into the cross. That's why Jesus in heaven will look somewhat like this. He'll look like the Lamb of God who was slain. Because we'll always be worshiping him in part for who he displayed himself to be right here. This is hard for me to look at. I've only watched this movie, you know what it's from, many of you know what it's from, one time because it was so grotesque and and hard to watch. But yet, this is the message. And once this view of God hits the human heart, that this is more than history, this is more than once a year at Easter, but once this hits our heart, grabs us, and we never graduate from it, then how much easier is it to accept the purpose of God? Because can we not trust Him now completely? Can we not believe because of this that he is, in fact, going to work all things out for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose? So it's because of this view of God that I can accept the purpose of God and then embrace the process. Because, look, he is not against me. This tells me he's so very much for me. And he's got a purpose. And he's got a plan. And I can surrender to that purpose. And I can embrace that process. All right. Let me illustrate it another way, okay? Just a serious joy, right? A serious joy. See the tension? You feel the tension. It's in the text. It's in the sermon. So let me talk about it this way. (coughs) In my family... Every Evans learns how to do this. It's like, it's just in the book of Evans, right? We just learn how to water ski. It's my, it's my oldest son, Yasu, and uh, he learned how to ski. My brother is Mark. Many of you know him. He's in the Army. I think I'm driving the Sea-Doo. So there he is skiing, six years old, right? This is this summer, right? 
So we made, we made progress, right? We got a little better. I mean, here we're holding on for dear life. We got to have, a, you know, an adult in the water because when you fall, you start thinking about Jaws movies, right? I mean, all that thing. And, 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 whoa. And, and now, look at us. I mean, we're now we're skiing on one ski and we're slaloming, right? That's a process. That's a process. Now, now, here's what a lot of people don't know. And this is why, you know, whenever Beth and I try to teach people how to ski, here's what people don't know. Learning how to, skiing is fun. I still ski. I'm 47, praying I don't pull something, okay? I, I, I still ski. Skiing is fun. Learning how to ski ain't fun. There is nothing, especially when you're six years old, there is nothing fun about. It's serious, but it's joy. So when God looks at you, you, you may be here, but he sees here. He's got a plan for you. He's got a process. Know him as Christ crucified. Accept the purpose and embrace the process. Because we pursue our purpose by honoring the process. Now just to clarify a little bit more. Because there's two components of the process, and I think one of them we maximize and one we minimize, which we should not. There's two components of the process. The first is what I'll call the providence of God. And, and I think a lot of us, this is when we think of plans that God has for us, we think in line of providence. Providence is this. The school I ended up going to, the purpose, the person I ended up bumping into and asking out and getting married to, the providence of God is, hey, we just happened to pick this house next to this person who invited us to this church, and boom, boom, boom. The providence of God is the circumstances, the platforms, the places we go, the people we meet, none of which is accidental. The book of Ruth, the book of Esther, both of those are just so illustrative of the providence of God. And a lot of us spend a lot of time thinking about trying to figure out what God's doing and how to join him or, you know, is this, God, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I wait? Do I start? Do I stop? We try to spend a lot of time on the providence of God. And undoubtedly, the providence of God is a component of God's process. It's, it's a component of God's process. But what Paul is going to turn to now is not just the providence of God, but he's going to talk about God's positioning of us. That God actually puts us into a position and then asks us to practice that position with intentionality and obedience and discipline. Now, what do I mean by God's positioning of us? He calls us into Christ. That's the call of the cross. He positions us in his son. We are united to his son. We are joined with, to his son. He positions us by putting the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are not to ignore the Holy Spirit, grieve the Holy Spirit, nor neglect the Holy Spirit, right? We are in step with the Holy Spirit. And God positions us in the church, in the church. And, and it, what, when God positions us in Christ with the Spirit in the church, He wants us to practice the position. And it is intentionality here that maximizes our cooperation with God's process. So what a lot of people do when we're thinking about, hey, I want to be on purpose with God, or I want to pursue God, or I want to grow closer to God, or I want to be in God's will, or I want God's best for my life, we only focus on number one, and we sometimes neglect number two. 
And what Paul has turned, as, he, as we've navigated through this text, is he's turned and he's going to start focusing more on the local church. And he wants them to understand the local church is a critical part of God's purpose. Go and make disciples of all the nations and God's process. And so a lot of Christians, if you said, hey, we need to embrace the local church. We need to be a part of the local church. We need to recognize it's not supposed to be optional or occasional. That's not me just talking because I'm a preacher. That's the Word of God talking. But it is part of the process. And, and remember what we said at the beginning, right? Neglecting the process is the enemy of purpose. And so what Paul does now is he begins to talk about how God actually uses, grows, and, and maintains the church. Here's what he says. He who plants and he who waters are one in purpose, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, and you are God's field, God's building. This is the church that God is planting. This is the church that God is building. And he's using the teachers. He's using the pastors. He's using the evangelists. And it was according to God's grace that was given to me, Paul says, that I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is careful to be careful, excuse me, how he builds. So we do not build the church haphazardly. We do not build the church according to human preferences, human traditions. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. So the foundation of the church is not the style of music. It is not the building they meet in, the denomination they're part of. It's not the personality of the lead pastor. It is always and forevermore must be Jesus Christ. And it is the role of teaching, specifically Christ-centered teaching, that in the church that is foundational to the process. That is foundational to the process. And so Paul is saying, look, we've put all these things in place for something of God to happen to you, but you're not embracing the process. And so now he ups the ante. Remember, he, it's serious. It's joy, but it's serious. He ups the ante and he says, listen, if anyone builds on the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, and costly stones, or we just say reliable materials, Wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. So he's contrasting gold, silver, and stone, costly stones with wood, hay, or straw. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. He is simply saying if the church is built on anything more than or less than Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. If the church becomes anything other than the showcase of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, at the judgment day, the works of that teacher, preacher, leader, the works of that church will be revealed by a test. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward, joy, but it's serious joy. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. He will still be saved, but only as through fire. This is not the doctrine of purgatory. This is, this is just simply saying the church is serious business, but the church is God's business. And so there's joy involved. There's joy involved. So to me, like I can tell you this, I'll be open and honest. I can look back at some sermons I've preached, and I promise you, in my, in my estimation, in my understanding of the Word of God, 
they'll be burned up because they weren't on point. That's how serious we are, right? Now, he's talking about leaders in the church, pastors in particular, teachers in particular, apostles in particular. He's talking about that, but then he does something, and he switches, and then he starts talking to kind of all of you, right? So he's kind of talking to me, and then he switches, and he talks to the rest of the church, and he does it by using the the pronoun you, but it's important that we understand he uses the pronoun the plural form of you. And what he's about to do is about to blow up every argument where people have said, I don't need to be a part of a church. He's about to blow up every person who said, I don't believe in organized religion. He's about to blow up the notion that my faith is my faith is between me and God. No, it's not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that because Paul said that, and Paul was operating on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he does it in a way that, in my opinion and estimation, is joy-producing. It's serious because we're talking about experiencing loss at the judgment day or receiving a reward, right? But he does it in a serious way but in a joy-giving way because here's what he says. Don't you, that would be you, yourselves, plural, Know that you are God's temple. Now, there are literally just dozens of pages in the Old Testament about the importance of the temple of God, the the actual physical building. And what he's saying is now the temple of God is all of us together, working together as Rockbridge or working together as the church down the street and then the total church in all ages and all places, right? But don't you know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? That's serious, but that serious joy in knowing who you are and how special you are to God and your place is in God's process and in God's plan. So if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him For God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Serious joy. So I want to ask you a question. When you think of you, are you seeing yourself as part of God's temple? You should. That's an awesome, awesome, awesome position, and it's a serious, serious responsibility. Serious joy. Serious joy. Serious joy. Now, when you think of you, have you embraced the process to be built up by and to build up the body of Christ? So the church helps you get built up, helps the process in your life, but you also help the process in others' lives. So we're built up by and we build up the body of Christ. As we develop Christ-like character, as we do kingdom-seeking activities, as, as we encourage love and love and correct each other. This is so critical to us as we reflect on 20 years that we have like totally revamped how we look at membership and how we tie membership into the process, the process of us becoming more like Jesus. Some people call that disciple making or discipleship or or spiritual formation. And so we are launching, our our whole staff went through it this week, a, a new environment that will really kick off a process. And it's really how we will help our members, people who choose to become members of this church, grow in Christ-likeness over their entire life. It's called All In. 
We'll launch the first class or environment at the end of September. Your campuses and online will give you more information about that. But I just want you to hear the heartbeat of that is we're trying to build up the church. We're trying to be the temple of God. We're trying to live up to what God has put into us. We're trying to practice and cooperate with the positioning of God. We're trying to be about that process to accomplish God's purpose in us and through us. It's serious, but it's also joyful. We're going to go out in the month of September, and we're going to be the church in our cities, serve the city. Sign-ups are underway at every campus. We have our 20-year anniversary date. It's going to be the weekend of September 8th, if you're a Rockbridge PM person, or the 11th. We want you to invite someone to come to church with you that may not know of this great purpose of God, that may not know Christ crucified, that may not have a church home. Now, that's just a little bit about Rockbridge. Let's go back to Paul. Okay, it's almost like Paul gets through with all this and he recognizes there's going to be pushback. It's almost like he recognizes people are going to be like, nah, not me. I'm not the temple of God. Not me. I, I got to go out here and make a living. I got to go out here and have fun. I got to go out here and be like people in Corinth. Because he comes back to a thing that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. He says, let no one deceive himself. If any one of you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. Because, see, it's easy for us, especially as Americans, to be like, no, 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 no. I don't need to be a part of the church. We are in a self-centered culture. We are in a self-centered context. Nobody makes decisions anymore about what's best for all of us. We make decisions about what's best for me, myself, and I, and the few people I'm close to. Right? That's just culture. It's not Christian culture. It's American culture. And so it's almost like the people in Corinth were like, nah, process, nah, purpose, plan, nah. And Paul's like, would you be willing to become a fool so you can become wise? Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God since it is written. He catches the wise and their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let nobody boast. No one boasts in human leaders. And then he says, look, everything is yours. You have all you need to be all that God has for you and to become all that God dreams for you. You, Everything is yours, whether it is from Paul or Apollos or Caiaphas or the world or life or death or things present or yet to come. Everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. There is, again, serious joy. Become a fool. You belong to Christ, and there's no better place to be than belonging to Christ. Only way to live Only way to die, best way to live. So here's the closing question. Am I, but are you too, because it's plural, it's not just me, it's not just written to me. Am I, are we, a fool for Christ because we've accepted his purpose and embraced his process? I want to ask at all of our locations, and even if you're watching it on your device, you're on the road, you're traveling, you're at home because you could not be here maybe, I want to ask you to stand And I just want us to, right now, you can stand if you're able to. And I want us to read Scripture together. The words that are in in yellow, you will read. The words that are in white, I will read. Let's read the Word of God over ourselves as our prayer, as our hope, as our direction. As we say, we'll become fools for Christ. And we want to be about the process. And we want to realize our purpose. We read together. But you, he asked of them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Woo, that gets me, baby. We're winning. We know who wins, right? We know who wins. But we live not for victory. We live from victory. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, goosebumps, as the cornerstone. So in him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, we are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. He is also the head of the body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. We pray together. God, praise you, praise you, and thank you. God, we're all a work in progress. I pray we'd about be about your process and embrace our purpose. God, you've reminded us some things. You've shown us a path of serious joy. Jesus, would you have first place in everything? Start with each of us listening today. Start with me. Bring yourself back to the center of it all. Jesus, have first place in everything. To the glory of your name, and in that name we pray. Amen.